All right, let's start at chapter 12, and uh, we could spend a couple years on these two verses. But let's begin, uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So he is pleading at this point. Now, he is appealing to them because of the incredible argument that he presented as to what happens in salvation and this change of natures and change of being that you're no longer merely human. You are now truly human in God's design because your spirit man has come alive and now you are as God intended man to be filled with his spirit and in right fellowship with him. And because of that, he now urges us by the mercies of God to do what? To present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Let's just stop right there. What is a sacrifice? In the Old Testament standard of the Old Testament, uh, uh, we're not using just the simple word of, of something hard to do, but in the Old Testament classification, what is a sacrifice? Yeah, it's an offering. It's something. And in order for it to be an offering, you kill it. All right? So a sacrifice is something that dies. But he says that we are to be what kind of a sacrifice that dies? A living. Now, isn't that a bit of a contradiction? Isn't that a bit of a living sacrifice? Those two words don't go together. So they do, though, to Christians. Because we are to die to what daily? Self. And die to our flesh. So the flesh that is craving and desiring and wanting things, we must daily offer to God. That's what a sacrifice is. It is an offering. It's, and, and he puts it in these terms. If it's in the King James, he says, this is your reasonable, logical service. Okay? The, the word is uh, logic in Greek. It is, is logical. But it's only logical, because you can't have a living sacrifice offered. It's only logical if it's spiritual. So we're offering ourselves to God. And therefore, I have to put to death my flesh as an act of worship to God. Therefore, we have to change the way we think. Change the way we operate and motivate ourselves. We cannot be motivated by our flesh anymore. We must be motivated by our act of worship. And that act of worship, you'd think, oh, well, I'm, I'm not going to, the, in the middle of the restaurant, uh, begin to worship God. Hallelujah. Bless His holy name. Stand up. What does He mean by this is, this is your... Uh, whole uh, spiritual worship by giving a sacrifice to God. Uh, this is a a logical explanation that He has given me power over my flesh. Therefore, I must put my flesh to death as a sacrifice to Him. So it can be as simple as this: that I'm going to put my fork down as an act of worship to God. I've eaten enough. Okay, I'm not going to put this to my lips to drink it, 
Because though my flesh craves this kind of sedative, this kind of relaxer, I'm not going to put the cigarette in my mouth anymore. Because as an act of worship, I'm going to kill my flesh and its desires. Now, put in the blank whatever the craving of your flesh that it's desiring. Right? Uh, I'm, I'm not going to boast about myself. I'm not going to be so vain about myself. I don't know. Whatever the issue of your flesh is, because of our, our needs and because of our self-medicating or, or our low esteem or our brokenness, you know, we've tried so hard growing up. We've tried to compensate for the pain that we're in. Can I get an amen on that? Look at the reason everyone in this room is struggling with the flesh is because we're trying to cope with the pain and suffering to get over our issues that we've endured in life. Your mom and your dad maybe didn't treat you the way you should have. Maybe you got molested as a child. Maybe you were made fun of by so many people. Maybe you have such a horrible body image about yourself. Maybe you feel that you're so stupid or foolish or you've been called those things and there's all these labels and it hurts. And you and I are trying to cope with that. And then we've been brought up under religions that tell us that God hates us. He's sick of us. wants to kill us. And if we don't act better, he's going to be mad at us. All of this stuff. We don't fully comprehend what this salvation is. But what he says is, whatever the unction from your flesh to gratify, the unction of your flesh when it moves into sin, there's nothing wrong with eating. It's gluttony that's wrong. There's nothing wrong with, with different things. But when we overindulge, then it becomes sin. Whatever is not of faith is sin, James says. So are you with me here on this? All right? So we all qualify for that. So what I'm saying is our reasonable, our logical, in fact, uh, um, a better word for it is uh, um, a sacred service as a priest offers the the sacrifice to God, be a priest and offer your flesh to God and kill it. You're a priest. What do priests do? Offer sacrifices. Now, we offer the sacrifice of praise, don't we? All right. And, and, but a sacrifice of praise goes much further than the fruit of our lips. It also goes into the actions of our hands and our thoughts and our deeds. And we must. And I, I, you know what? If I get uh, 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 stirred up or zealous in preaching of this, I'm preaching to me. I'm discovering this in me. And so I'm, I'm getting kind of excited about it. So this is a priestly act of denying flesh. Who would have ever thought that the fighting of sin and the fighting of our flesh is in fact service to God and honoring Him in worship? I'll be honest with you, I never did till I just preached it tonight. I'm serious. I've never really come to understand this verse than I have just right now. In the sense of what this means. Do you know that as a priest you could be offering 
a sacrifice to God in the, in the, especially when you're alone and no one's looking. Right? In the secret places where your flesh just is, come on, no one's looking. Come on, you deserve it. That's when you're tired. That's when your flesh, you deserve a break. Just a little tickle here and a little of this. But we as priests can offer it to God. Now that's our reasonable, our logical. It is in fact our spiritual. That's why what is such a contradiction. A living sacrifice is spiritual but yet soulish or reasonable of the mind. They come together because we are both spirit and soul. And we become living sacrifices all day long to offer God this worship to him that I am going to regulate my life as worship to you. Wow, that is awesome. Okay, verse one. So how do we do this? Do not be conformed to this world. All right, we all have been. And what he's saying is no longer be conformed. Now, you know what conform means? It means pressed in molded by it is pressed into a mold anybody used to play with play-doh you know little molds and different things right Uh, and how many of you play in the sand with buckets and sand castles right okay and then so you press it in you pull that i always love that you pull that off and it's molded conformed to the image that it was shaped in he doesn't want us to be conformed to the image of this world anymore. You and I have been molded by a Western and American mindset. And many times you don't know how American you are till you leave the United States and go to a foreign land. And then you realize how American you are. I can tell you so many stories that I have discovered of how American I am. How loud, how rude, how gluttonous, how demanding, how stin- how how oh, spoiled we are as Americans. We don't know that because the rest of the world is at a poverty level and even we in our lower income are living like kings and queens compared to the rest of the world. Remember the first time I went to Russia? They gave me a plate for my buffet line and I thought, what is this, a salad dish? That's the plate. No, in America, we have platters. And we've eliminated small. Have you noticed that in drinks? There's no small anymore. It's grande and it's uh, ultra grande and it's super big and super large. Give me a cup for my drink. In Russia, when I got a cup for my drink, I could hold it with two fingers. I'm going to be refilling this a lot. Here, platters and big gulps. Give me a pitcher. We're so conformed. We don't even realize how conformed to this world we are. We don't even realize how much we've been shaped by our culture. And, and I'm sorry, but if I may speak out against capitalism, don't worry, I'm not a socialist, I'm not a communist, and I'm not a capitalist. I'm a Christian. Amen. I am a kingdomist. Yeah. And the kingdom of God works differently. 
I'm not going to get into social economic deals, okay? I understand capitalism works well because it teaches everybody that they reward for their own labors and sowing and reaping. It's a great system. Love it. America's the best country in the world, okay? Get past that, but understand we're conformed to a human mentality of structures of life, and we've got to change into a kingdom mentality. So anyways, we can't be, we've got to stop being conformed. And the only way you and I are ever know that we're conformed is if we stay in the Word of God. Stay in the Word of God. This is the only thing that's going to get us out of this rabbit hole and out of this culture of a Western mindset. I'll go on. Do not be conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed. That means over and above and across by the renewing of your mind. Our minds must be transformed. Remember, according to Romans 7, where is the war being waged? In our mind. Therefore, there are patterns. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. There are patterns that you and I have established. I shared with you the pattern of the elephant that once it's caught and chained to a peg, it can only go so far. And that's why you see elephants always rocking because that chain has conformed a pattern in their mind that that is the only distance they can go. But Jesus cut that chain off, that being chained to sin and conformed to our flesh so that we could be free from it. Free from condemnation, free from shame, free from guilt, but most of all, free from repeating the same patterns of sin. Breaking the patterns of sin. You know what? You're never going to break a pattern of sin if you continue to think, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. What most of the church does is they use repentance for after sinning. It's like the dessert. (laughs) Repentance was never meant to be used after the sin. Repentance means to change your mind. Therefore, to break the pattern of sin, we've changed our mind about that sin. And as a sacrifice, we offer it to God. I am not even going to go there. He's not going to lead me into temptation. So when temptation comes, I have so changed my mind about that sin that I will no longer even entertain it. That's true repentance. That means I have changed my mind about this issue and I won't be fooled again. You with me? That's the changing of patterns. Now, again, we could stay weeks here. But what we need to discover is the patterns of our sin in our flesh. One man put it this way. Go to bed early because there's nothing good when you're tired and it's late that you do. We usually get into all sorts of trouble when we're tired and it's late. Just go to bed. But what happens is that's a simplification of these patterns. So let's say you're feeling deficient in love. Let's say you're feeling um, uh, not respected or not honored what, or, or, or that you feel ugly or all these other things. You've developed patterns to make yourself feel better about yourself. <coughs> and we pursue these patterns of behavior and patterns of thinking. Has anybody here have a pattern of behavior? One or two? We all do, don't we? And so... We have to transform. They're like ruts. How many of you, uh, uh, winter's coming, right? And how many of you have your streets plowed? 
I, I remember in Detroit, many times in Detroit, they don't plow the streets in there. And so when you're driving down the streets in Detroit, you have to hope no one's coming towards you. Because there's just one set of ruts. <laughs> and, and you're halfway down the block and someone else is coming. You can't pull to the side. Someone's got to back all the way up, let the guy out and go through. We have deep ruts in us. <laughs> and what God wants to do is to transform over past those ruts so that we don't get caught in them again. And we find new patterns. Scientists have actually found that you can rewire your brain. Restructure your brain. Paul knew this way back then. He knew that if you would continue to think on these things, whatsoever is lovely, whatsoever is trustworthy, whatsoever is praiseworthy, whatsoever is true, whatsoever is lovely, these things set your mind on things above. Set your eyes on Jesus. Fill yourself with the Word of God. These are the things that break the patterns of our flesh. Worship regularly. Read the Word of God regularly. That sounds like legalism. No, it's rewiring the entire system. And it is absolutely necessary. It's brain surgery without a scalpel. It's brain surgery with a sword. I like that. I just made that up. Somebody write that down. The sword of the Spirit, the Word of God... That's the brain surgery you and I need. Now listen to this. He says, don't be conformed. Member of the world, there's so many patterns that have conformed us. We have to bust loose out of them to be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by, catch this, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Other translations say proving by proving the will of God, by testing the Word of God. I looked up the Greek in that, and it means to scrutinize. By testing the will of God, you will know, you'll come to know what is the right, the acceptable, and the perfect. Remember, in Scripture, the word perfect means complete, whole, lacking nothing. What is the perfect will of God? This is the big question. People are always asking pastors, Pastor, I want to know the will of God for my life. Well, you, you test it out. You prove it. Go for a test ride. You see, all of us want one answer from God to tell us exactly what it is. That's not what this verse says. It says you test it. You prove it. You scrutinize it. Put this thing to work. Put the Word of God to work. But we want God to tell us what it is. Don't go left, go right. Don't take this job, take that job. You know, God doesn't work that way. He wants us so dependent on Him that we have to test and approve, test and approve, test and approve. He wants it working in our lives so that as the writer of Hebrews says, by constant use of the Word, they were able to to determine what is right or wrong. So, how many of you are constantly testing and approving the Word of God? See what I mean? That's that's how we're going to break free from the patterns. Let's test and approve, test and approve. How many of you buy a car? Anybody bought a car here? All right. Did you take it for a test ride? Right? So some of you say, well, that's not faith. Testing and approving. No, it is faith. 
It's putting it to action. It's putting wheels on your faith. It's saying, I'm going to try this thing. I'm going to do it. And if it's not working here, then I'm going to try it a different way. But I'm going to keep testing and approving what God's perfect or complete will is. And that's the process of our whole life. How many of you are testing and approving? How many of you are pushing through this life, finding what God's will is for your life? Amen? Don't think it's some robotic thing that it's that somebody... There is nobody on this planet that knows exactly where they're supposed to be and when and how and where. God wants you to operate by faith and walk in it. Walk in it. Here's the Apostle Paul going from city to city. Is it here, Lord? No, not here. Should I go here? He goes to the next city. Is it here? No, don't preach here. He goes to the next city. Is it here? No, don't preach here. Then he gets a vision from the, from the man in Macedonia. Come here, come here. Why didn't you tell me that three cities ago? Because he's testing and approving. He's, he's, he's working out this stuff. How are you going to respond with what gets thrown at you? Okay, so this is essential. So we got this figured out. That there are patterns of our flesh. Patterns in our mind. Behaviors that we are at fights with. And we need to offer those things in our flesh as sacrifices, as priests to God. And that is worshiping Him. Every time you overcome the flesh, you have just offered a sacrifice to the living God that is pleasing and acceptable to Him. Praise God. Praise God. Your war against the flesh, brothers and sisters, is an activity of worship to God. Amen? We are to test God's will. How many of you see uh, gold medalists in the Olympics when they get their gold medal, what do they do? They bite it. Why, why do you do that? Why do we bite a coin? It's old school. It's an old way of thinking that, you know, it was fake. Right? What are they doing? Testing and approving. That's what God says you do with my word. You taste and see. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Test and approve. Come on. I love this about Jesus. I love this about the Lord. And some people say you should never question Jesus. Jesus says, come on. Test and see. You don't understand? Ask me. Test and see. You have a question? Search it out. Search me out. God is not opposed to anybody searching Him out. Any questions you have. Any argument against Him. Come on. Come on. And, and, and so test and see what is God's perfect and holy will. Now, he goes on. And he says that... As we are living sacrifices, as this is an act of worship that we are now, since we have the power of an indwelling Holy Spirit who is groaning in us to birth the will of God, and that every time we deny the flesh, it's an act of worship to God, he says, now put it to work. Let's go, people. Here we go. This is God's grace. And he says, verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. I love that statement. Now, it's a very important statement that there's no one here better than another. We need each other. That we've all been saved by the grace of God. That no man can boast. 
No flesh will boast in his sight. There's no one here better than another person. We are all priests in the kingdom of God offering that sacrifice to God of killing our flesh and honoring Jesus. So don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. Now that's a very important statement because he doesn't, he doesn't say this, don't think of yourself more highly than anybody else. He says, don't think of yourself more highly than you what? Ought. There's an ought here. In other words, do not debase yourself to being a a doormat. He says, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. There is an ought to here. And so, how should you consider yourself? Remember I said, we're no longer a sinner saved by grace. We are a son of God, a child of God. I am the righteousness of God. I'm the beloved of God. There is an ought to that you need to move to. Because if you just consider yourself as a loser, as a sinner, as a failure, as a worm, as the worst thing that could ever be, you will never move in faith to do the things God's called you to because you think you're of no value. That is not thinking of yourself. And some people do that. They debase themselves so low that they're never used by God. Oh, God will never use me. But I'm humble. But, you know, yeah, you humble yourself, but in due season, He will raise you up. God wants to raise His children up. He wants to raise sons and daughters to the place where they ought to be. You need to be a ruler of of authority of the kingdom. You need to be taking down the demonic. You need to be speaking the will of God in the earth. But you never will if you think you're a worm. We were a worm. We were lost. We were that. But now because of Christ, I'm a son of God. So, but at the same time, let's get perspective on that. It's by the grace of God we go. Only by the grace of God. But this grace of God has been given to you, deposited to you. This righteousness is imputed into you. Own it, live it, but don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. Don't think you're better than somebody else because the same gift of grace was given to everybody in this house. So let's help each other understand who we ought to be, right? So for those of you high and mighty, we might have to help you mm, uh, readjust. And God will put you in situations where you are challenged. He, He does. He knocks us down. I got a lot of stories of being knocked down by God. All right, he knocks us down, but he also lifts us up to where we should be. So help each other out for those who don't feel their worth or of value at all. You are. All right. So think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that has been assigned to us. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So don't compete with one another. Don't look at somebody else and be envious. Don't look and say, well, they're this and I'm just that. We all have different functions. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. 
having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. Somebody say that with me. Let us use them. Now everybody say it. Let us use them. You've all been given graces. No one better here. Do you see how he's prepping? No, there's nobody better here than anybody else. We, yet we all function, and we function differently and in different capacities. But we all have these graces and these gifts, and we're all part of a body. We're not going to get this kingdom done unless we work together. So let us, what? Use them. Let us use them. And then he goes into these gifts, and he says, oh man, look at, look at what the kingdom of God is. Look at what the body of Christ can do. So we're going to use them. If you prophesy, do it in proportion to our faith. So those who are prophetic, you got to have faith to believe that what you're saying is the unction of the Lord. And what happens is, another word for faith is trust. Another word for that is confidence in the Lord. Once you develop this gift, you learn this gift, guess what's going to happen? Your faith will increase and you'll begin to prophesy in what? Greater measure. Amen? It's all in proportion to your faith. So whatever grace He's given you, whatever gifting He's given to you, it will grow as you increase in faith and in trust in God. That's why, don't use false humility. Wow, you're a great teacher. Oh, not really. I shucks. I don't know. Are you a teacher or not? Yeah. Then teach, man. Teach. You a prophet or not? Then let's get past all the, the, oh, I don't know if it's me or I don't know if it's God. I don't know if I should or not. Grow up. Let's go. Faith. Use it. Amen? All right. So he says, if you're going to prophesy, prophesy to our faith. If you're going to serve, then let me see it in your serving. Right? If your gift is service, what should show up? Serving. And if you're really good at it, you'll be doing it greater and in greater measure, right? So let's see it. Let us use them, all right? To the one who teaches, it'll show up in his what? Hey, this is logical. This is reasonable. Should show up in your teachers. If it's one who exhorts, then we should expect it in his exhortations. If it is one who leads, then he should lead with zeal. You don't want to follow a leader that says, I guess we should go this way. Do you want to follow? Not you. Take me there. If you're going to lead. The one who does acts of mercy, then do it with cheerfulness. Oh, i got to help these people out again. Come on, you got the gift of mercy? Use it. Cheerfully. All right? So now, this is what he's going to say. We're going to get to work, people. We're going to put the flesh to death, and we're going to start using these gifts that God's given us. And it's going to start showing up. And now he lists, this, this portion of Scripture is phenomenal. Chapter 12, 9 to 20. He says, now, this is what are the marks of true Christians. This is what should show up now that we are spirit-filled, spirit-led Christians who are no longer using the members of our flesh as instruments of wickedness, but now we're using our body as instruments of righteousness. And it's going to show up as we put it to work, right? Here we are, people. He says this, verse 9, Let love be genuine, pure, real love. He says, hate 
or abhor what is evil. Now, this is where you and I have been conformed to the image of this world. We don't hate evil enough. In fact, we're entertained by it. We like the movies and the shows and the music and the sounds and the everything. We're living in Sodom and Gomorrah and we criticize Lot. We read the book of uh, 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 Genesis and we read about Lot and we go, how did that guy ever end up in that city? Hey, wake up, look where you're living. We're in Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Lot says, Peter tells us that Lot's righteous soul was vexed. Is our soul vexed by the filth and what is, what is lingering in our culture? <clears throat> we should be hating evil. And so we must be vocal about it. Amen? Amen. Hold fast to what is good. That's, that's our hallmark. We're going to hate evil. Now, we're going to reach out to people. People do evil. The only, people that, you know, the only thing that's evil is people. Of course, there's demons. They're just made evil. But in the earth, people do evil things. Cows don't do evil things. Birds don't do evil things. You know, right? Trees aren't evil. There's nothing in creation that does evil. The only thing that does evil is that which has fallen, Satan and man. But we're to love man because we have a remedy for that evil. We're to put Satan under our feet and rescue the perishing. Amen? So if they don't understand what's good, how are they going to know what's evil? Hello. I'm going to back that one up. If the world has no idea what is right and just, then they're not going to know what's wrong. If there isn't somebody saying, this is sin and this is wrong, they will never know that it's wrong. We are the pillar of truth in the earth, says the Word of God. So if the church is silent, though they will hate us for it, if the church is silent in identifying what is sin and an evil, then they won't believe it's sin or evil. We're their last hope for coming to a Savior. Because we're the only ones pointing out sin. Very unpopular position to be in. How many of you have understood that? Right? So let's back off. Let's not call it out. Okay? Well, if we don't, more people are going to hell on our watch. Right? So we're going to be the annoying people because we're the pillar of truth. Though they've eradicated paying attention to truth, except there's the Christian. Now, we don't have to be uh, obnoxious or rude about it. In fact, we're to present truth in the character and quality that Jesus did. Okay? You still have to maintain your Jesus. You can't put on flesh and start beating people up because they're in sin. Now you're sinning. Right? Does this make sense? All right, let's keep going. He says this, Outdo one another in showing honor. Oh, I forgot. Love one another with brotherly affection. Filio. We love one another with brotherly love. We care for each other. That's what the church is. We don't shred each other. We don't kick each other down. Let's help each other. We're all in a fight against the flesh, are we not? Are we not? Are we not? Then let's help each other. Amen? Amen. 
So let's show brotherly affection. I love this. Now you have to understand this about the culture that Jesus lived in, that Paul lived in, that the Roman culture was in. It was a honor-shame culture. We don't get that. America is not an honor-shame culture. (laughs) We don't hold anybody with honor, and we like to shame everyone. There is no shame. You can do anything you want. We have no shame. But in that culture, honor and shame was everything. And if you'll look, Jesus continually played against the honor-shame issue in all of his parables. The parable of the prodigal son and the father. That's an entire story about honor and shame. The son dishonored the father and shamed his father, did shameful things and ended up in a pigsty, but a father was willing to shame himself and run to his son and receive back the son who shamed him. In that culture, that son, if he showed up, should have been put to death for what he did to his father. But this father was willing to run to him, and it was a shame in Judaism for a man to bare his ankles and for that man to pull up his his robe and to run to his son, made that he shamed himself to show love to his son. And if there's anybody that put a greater shame on his love, God sent his son to a cross to be a shame, an open shame, as Paul says, to us to demonstrate the love he has for us. And if there's any shame, we should the one, be the ones who come to realize that we're shameful and we must honor a love like that. Amen. So Paul says, and this is really important, outdo one another in showing honor. Wow, what does that look like? Here, take my seat. No, 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 you take that seat. No, it's the best seat in the house. I want you to have it. Well, thank you, but I'm not going to take the best seat in the house. I want you to have it. No, 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 I'll do you one better. I'll bring in a lazy boy here for you. This is your seat. I want you to have it. No, wait, I want to get in on this. I'll give you 50 bucks if you sit there. Outdo one another. In, yeah, outdo one another in honoring. Hold the door for people. Honor people. Do you know, everything he's explaining here is so basic in everyday life. Everything I'm explaining to you, we do it in and out all day long. But we're all looking for a ministry. Well, I hope to write the book and then go on a speaking circuit and then I'll be able to speak in front of many people. Then God will love me and think I'm useful. What are you talking about? Where does that come from? That is a Western mindset of rock star Christianity. Somebody puke it out, please. This is Christianity. Today, you hold the door. You honor someone. You see an elderly person, you honor them. You see a veteran, you honor them. You see someone who needs help, you honor them. You outdo them in love. You don't think you're better than somebody else. You give what you got away. This is the honor of the gospel of Jesus Christ. All day long, we're priests offering this to God. All of this, do you get it? Is a reasonable act of worship because Jesus in the end is going to say if you did it to the least of these you did it to me when I was naked you clothed me when I was hungry you gave me food when I was in prison you visited me when did we do all this Lord as priests you offered that as worship to me all day long oh come on I love loving Jesus 
I love loving Jesus. And by loving him, I'm honoring somebody. It's easy to be put people off and get rid of them. But no, you've got Jesus in you. You're going to get off your schedule and go on his. And someone interrupts, you're busy. Oh, believe me. I had a clear schedule today. <laughs> you wouldn't have known it. After phone call and people at the door and everybody needing things and this and that. But you know what? You get to a place where you recognize, this is Jesus knocking at my front door. This is Jesus who needs help here and and needs finance. This is Jesus. This is an opportunity for me as a priest to offer a sacrifice to Christ God. Isn't that good? Oh, praise God. Hallelujah. Oh, we better hurry up. I'm speaking too long. Okay. Do not be slothful in zeal. (laughs) Another contradiction in words, right? Sloth and zeal. So, You know what he's saying, don't you? I'll put it to you this way. Be Pentecostal. Be zealous. Zeal. It's fire. Be fiery for Jesus. And don't be slow to being fiery. Don't be lazy in your love and zeal for God. Oh, I I love God. Ah, you don't have to be yelling and loud and all that. But be zealous. Run to the service of God. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. When you get up and your feet hit the floor, I can't wait to get to work so that as a king and as a priest, I can offer sacrifice to Jesus all day long. Another part in the drill press. Praise God. Hallelujah. There's an offer and a sacrifice to God. Zing. I'm going to work. I'm going to clean up my workspace. My boss is going to flip, but I'm going to keep it clean because that's an act of worship to God. You, You change everything. All dynamic. And you know what? When you start doing that, Jesus says, if you'll be faithful in little things, small things, I will make you ruler over much. Why? Because as a priest, you offered worship to me all day long. Oh, Jesus, I I just thought it was when I went to church at 7 o'clock. No. Oh, my goodness. I'm so excited about serving Jesus. Man, don't you love... Worshiping God. You've been worshiping God all day long. Isn't that cool? Praise God. You people are amazing. (laughs) Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Fervent in spirit. Be hot. Be on fire. Oh, by the way, the fervent prayers of a righteous man, a right person in right relationship with Jesus who is sacrificing flesh in honor to God all day long, living a holy life, You'll avail much in prayer. Oh man, we need availing prayer, don't we? Be fervent in spirit. He says, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Oh, that's a good one. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. The household of God. We're to look out for each other. Okay? Now, I'm not going to tell you what to do as far as where you give your money. God will, God will tell you what to do. Ask Him. But I'm just going to tell you about myself. Uh, give your money as you feel led of God to give you money. But so many times in, in different seasons and in different places, like at stores, they say, do you want to give this money to this uh, need or that or this? Uh, for me, 
I say no, uh, uh, unless I feel moved of God, because I'm holding my finance for things that I know are directly kingdom of God things. Okay? I know they're all good. There's a lot of good. But there's a difference between good and there's God. So support those things that are of the kingdom of God and then seek to show hospitality. Now, hospitality is an interesting word. Hospitality isn't just about inviting someone over for tea and crumpets. Okay? Hospitality in biblical doctrine is the lover of the lost. Caring for the lost. Caring for those who are lost. The, the classic example of hospitality is what parable? The Good Samaritan. Key story on the meaning of hospitality. Okay? It truly means to be hospitable, hospitable, to have the gift of hospitality doesn't mean you're good at entertaining. It could, but, uh, but what it means is you show favor and you show grace to the lost. And guess what that'll do? It'll draw them. It's a gift. It's a, it's a, it's a type of evangelism, if you will. Now, verse 14, bless those who persecute you. That's hard to do because you want to respond in like passion. Bless and do not curse them. Okay, let's talk about it for a minute. Road rage. <laughs> They're coming. Someone said wave at them. If you wave at them, make sure all your fingers are together. I'm very serious about this. Because just a, a f, you know, a like this or like that, you get a finger out of joint and you're, you could be dead. <laughs> so if you're going to wave, <laughs> make sure the fingers are all together. <laughs> all right. Example of when you can turn where your flesh wants to curse, your flesh rises up. Nobody likes to get yelled at. I... I hate that. I'm driving, and I didn't do anything wrong, or maybe I drifted in a lane or something, and some guy comes along, and you look at him, and he's going, man, it affects me. I go, I'm sorry. I didn't mean it. I didn't. You know? But other people, it rises up, and they want to respond back. But if you would refuse that flesh and rising up and sacrifice it right then and there, it's an act of worship to God. And He is pleased by the worship you just gave Him. You didn't respond in the, in the flesh. You responded in spirit. And that's your reasonable service of worship. Praise God. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. That's empathy. Live in harmony with each other. That means you don't have to sing the same note, but you do need to get along. Uh, do not be haughty. That was a good one, right? Write that down, Twyla. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Again, there we are with honor and shame. Honor, honor, honor. Be respectable. Respect people. Amen? Again, these are characteristics and quality. If possible, I love that qualifier. If possible, so far as it depends on you, leave, 
live peaceably with all. I think that's reasonable that he said, if possible. How many of you know it's not always possible to live peaceably with some people? That's why good fences make good neighbors. Right? You've got to set boundaries. How many of you know that? Because some folks you can't live peaceable with. They just get your goat. They're just ornery people. So in order for me to be peaceable with them, I need to set some boundaries. All right. This stuff is so practical. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so you will be heaping burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I'm going to stop there tonight. I was planning to go through chapter 13. I won't. Let me finish on this last portion here. You've got to get the understanding of what Paul's saying. Don't return evil for evil, but do good. If someone needs something, you give it to them, right? And he says, that would be as if pouring hot coals on their head. If your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you'll heap burning coals on his head. And people read that and they go, <laughs> that's, way, that's one way to get him. Kill him with kindness. Because it'll just aggravate him. <laughs> Isn't that the wrong motivation? <laughs> But yet, we get some kind of gratification out of it. It's because that is a misunderstanding of what he's saying. What does he mean, putting heaping hot coals on their head? That sounds like it hurts. Be nice so that they're shamed into their position. No, the concept is this. In Eastern culture, when you shared fire, how many of you know that fire was necessary for life. If your fire goes out in the middle of the night, you're going to be cold and freezing. They didn't have furnaces. They had fireplaces. So if someone you don't like comes over to you and says, do you have any burning embers? Do you have any hot coals? What they would do is come with their bowls and ask you for a burning ember. You would put the hot coals in it and they would put it on their head and take it back to their house so that they could be warm too. That's what he means by heaping hot coals on their head. Even though they are your enemy, if they're hungry, feed them. Didn't Jesus do that to his enemies? Even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For this grace that we've talked about tonight, this attitude of mercy and honor and goodness that we've been talking about and this sacrifice of flesh over self uh, and honoring Jesus, all of it is the attitude of Christ. That's what should be showing up. So by doing this, you'll heap burning coals on their head. In other words, if someone has need, and they may even be your enemy, You give them the hottest coals in your fire. God will take care of you, but you will win them through the love of Jesus Christ. Amen?